we are going to be live in three, two, one. Trent, welcome to the hive. Hey, thanks for having me back. Episode six, you're back, round two. So, uh, what are we here to talk about today? Well, I'll keep it PG for my end this time. You can go <laughs> off if you want. Um, no, I, before we talked the last time, uh, that was a couple days before I went to uh, Daytona. Um, for our first preseason test and our only preseason test before the uh, Rolex 24 uh, at Daytona. Which uh, So what's a preseason test? Is that something where you're testing the cars or is it an actual race that's a test? No, it's it's um, basically just sort of a warm-up after the winter break. It really doesn't count towards much. Um, you know, it, you make of it what, what you uh, – well, you get in – or you get out what you put in. That's what I'm trying to say, right? So, so if you show, that was hard for you to say. Too. Yeah, it was. <laughs> this is this is why I drive in circles for a living. Um, so, so basically, it's it's uh, sort of a warm up, winter warm up after. Hold on, we've got Carl. Yeah. Carl's looking for the scout. And his drawers. Oh, thank you. We just found out that. One underwear Carl wears. Yeah, I, great. Wonderful. The scale is over. Uh, I put it off to the side by the lockers, I believe. Because it was in the middle of the water. Yeah, so just a quick backstory on how my day has been going. So I got a I got a text message this afternoon going, yeah, I don't think I can work out. And I was like, why? And they're saying because the gym is flooded. So we got a lot of snow last week. And there's about 12 feet of snow, 12 feet high, probably about the same wide at the back of the building and we are now finding out that there is a crack in the foundation of the building that is leaking directly into our facility so there was a lake that was from the back garage door which you can enter and it went out about 45 feet so seven buckets of water later we were able to have class but we still have Probably another seven buckets of water in the back that I will get to after this. God, so, yes, it's a wonderful day. And God knows what's under that wooden platform now, too. Yes, I know. Yeah. We're probably going to have to take the platform down, yeah. but that's okay. So we're working on bringing a cage into the facility, which is going to be a redo, and then we can address some of the issues we've got with the current setup. So that Sweet. is a good thing. So just rounding out a couple of the last sponsors to make that happen. But, uh, yeah, that's what's going on. So... Back to your your situation. You went. You weren't here for the snow. No, no, I wasn't. But it wasn't much warmer in Florida either. It was okay, barely well, above freezing. Okay, barely, barely above freezing, but no snow is very different than the below freezing, very far below freezing, and <laughs> tremendous amount of snow that we had up here. So yeah, yeah, don't try and act like your trip to Daytona was like what we've been dealing well, with. Well, it's nice and warm in the car. Yeah. yeah, I can tell you that. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, so you've got coming up for what do you? So what do you have coming up? What's coming up after this trip? So you went to Daytona and you're doing this test and basically, you know, you're getting yourself getting your act together so you can be ready for what? So at the end of the month, um, well, my my week for the Rolex 24 at Daytona, which basically is uh, the the season opener for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car How, Championship. What's a what's a season? Uh, How long? Well, for us, it's from January to October. Okay. So it, it's pretty long. Everything's pretty spaced out, too, especially the first three races of the year. Um, and the first two races of the year uh, are major endurance events. So you have the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, um, which I think it's in, it's it's like a 
60th year, or we're, we're approaching 60th year, uh, some, somewhere in that region. But uh, then the second race of the year is the 12 hours of Sebring, which... When you do, when you do a 24-hour race, how many drivers? Uh, in our car specifically, we got four um, there are some cars that will have five. There are some cars that will have three. Do you have rules that you're only allowed to drive so many hours? Yeah. yeah. So so that's a safety condition. Yeah. I think in a six-hour period, one driver can only run three hours, maybe a little bit more. But I think uh, I think uh, maximum three hours in a six-hour period. Um, since we have four drivers in the car, we shouldn't have to worry about drive time issues. Uh, there's also a minimum drive time. So in order for the car to score points and for the particular driver to score points towards the overall season championship, uh, I think the minimum drive time is like two hours, 45 minutes, two and a half hours. Do you sleep? Something like that. Do you sleep in between? Yeah, you try to, but you're wired the whole time, man. I mean, you're you're on the pit box for the most part. You're I've having the radio this on. You're trying to follow along with what's going on. Are you... Do they test you guys for anything? Do you have to take drug tests? Um, yeah, yeah. Since since IMSA International Motorsports Association is uh, fully owned and uh, well, they are the sanctioning body, but uh, fully owned by NASCAR. NASCAR has got a very strict uh, drug testing policy. They they what do, are they looking for in drug tests for drivers? That's uh, my thing. So it's usually like illegal recreational drugs. Not many, steroids. I mean, power is not a thing. No. Endurance. I, I don't know what steroid you could take that's going to give you endurance for driving a car. EPO. <laughs> Blood doping. I don't know. Yeah, but what's EPO going to? EPO is not going to keep you up longer. No, no. But I guess it's uh, you know. And but they don't want a guy oxygen. behind. They don't want a guy doing cocaine yeah. so he can stay up. That's, or that's basically the speed idea. or anything like that's that. That's basically the idea. Yeah. Have, have you ever seen anyone get busted for any kind of like amphetamines or anything? Luckily, no. But there have been some high-level drivers to get uh, get busted for like recreational cocaine use. <laughs> I look at it, car racing. If you were doing something like that, it's the same problem I have with people in fighting that are doing performance enhancers. Because in fighting, if you're doing something that's a performance enhancer, you're physically hurting another human being. Mm-hmm. And then with car racing, if you're doing something that may keep you up but also may make you reckless, you're driving. How many? How much does a car weigh? Um, 1,500 kilos, 1,600 kilos. So okay. in, in, in English, like just around 3,000 pounds. So yeah. you have a 3,000-pound weapon that... Yeah. you're using so you could really screw somebody up yeah that's why i i completely understand that i you know when, the more we talk the more i get these weird i don't understand the car racing world and i'm trying to see what parallels between that it's even hard car racing it's a sport it is but it's um i mean it's it's man and machine right that's yeah that's where it, it but there's a lot of sports that use things that augment it but in terms of a physical skill i'll tell you a funny one my father brought this up once we were talking about sports that have people you wouldn't realize would have athletes remember they used to do those battle of the stars well you wouldn't you're so young but they used to do this battle of the stars thing on tv back in the day it's probably the 80s so i mean unless you were catching on nick at night with like the rewinds i don't know maybe but they used to do these battles of the stars and they would take athletes from different sports and they would take famous people and they would do this mini olympics and I forget the name of the driver, 
but they had one driver who kept winning all the events and everyone couldn't believe it. He was outrunning runners and he was out throwing, you know, the baseball player, the football player. And he he was saying it's his focus and his coordination yeah. from driving. It actually is a physical skill. It's not just a mechanical thing. It's an actual physical skill. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and I mean, it's no coincidence that the best drivers in the world are generally some extremely high level athletes. Um, well, I know when we first connected, conditioning was a big part of your life and probably yeah. still is a big part of your life. But at yeah. the time, you know, you were you had very specific conditioning things. What do you what do you what do you focus on with conditioning that you think makes you a better driver? Is it the mental push plus the endurance, or is there something a strength training? I don't know. Like, explain to me what you think the crossover of the gym side of it, not the kickboxing side of it, but you know, pushing weight and doing cardio. Um. <laughs> I guess I'll say I train train a bit differently than most drivers, just because I'm I do focus a lot more on lifting, um, you know, more specifically powerlifting and Olympic lifts. But why? Than a lot of drivers, uh, I think explosiveness is important when you're in the car. Um, why? You you've got to be you've got to be quick with all of your movements, right? Not okay. just uh, not just pure aggression. Not just trying to like, for example, hitting a brake pedal. You know, you might not think much of it, but that basically is like the difference between a good driver and a great driver, right? So it's understanding how to use it. Understanding how to how to use a brake pedal, how to hit it, how quick to hit it, how to bleed off. It, it's all it's all a feel thing, right? But I think, uh, at least my my feeling is that not just conditioning, right? Because most drivers for training. Uh, they'll run, they'll do CrossFit, but mainly focused on like body weight movements, that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of drivers, a ton of drivers uh, are into cycling. Does your physical weight matter in relation to the car? It does. It does. How much would I'm, you say, though? I'm not a big guy, but compared to drivers, I'm a pretty big guy. Right. Now, is be, being heavier is not an advantage because the heavier you are, the slower the car? In GT racing, it's not that big of a deal because the cars still weigh so much to begin with. But it could, depending on who I'm driving with. If I'm driving with somebody who's 30 pounds lighter than me, yeah, there's going to be a difference in performance between him and the car and me and the car. Right? I might be able to drive around How much of a of difference issues. is that 30 pounds? That's what I'm curious. Oh, you'll feel it. But yeah. how much is it when, when you're putting the time on the clock? I mean, does it matter? Uh, I, I mean, it depends on where you're at and what you sort think, of track conditions, that sort of thing. But yeah, it could be worth a couple thousands of a second. But that's what we're well, that's mean, what we're focusing on. That's here, the man. difference between winning and losing. Absolutely, so it's like what you say. Everything. With, it's like what you say with slip and punches. You know, you can slip it by an inch. You can slip it by a mile. I can win by a thousandth, yeah. or I can win by ten seconds. It doesn't matter. Wins and win. Yeah, if you're ahead, you're ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. I had somebody posted something today from this guy. I think it's Koklov. He's a big power lifter, CrossFit, hired this guy to come in to help him. He's like Olympic powerlifting champ. And he, he had a he had a quote saying that as long as they're spitting on your back, that means you're out front and they're trying to catch you. <laughs> it's kind of nasty. Yeah. That was probably some weird Russian translation of something that was actually really cool. But I I was laughing at that. I was saying as long yeah. as as long as I'm not running after them trying to get it, I guess if they're throwing it at me from behind, yeah, I guess I am out front. Yeah, that definitely. That's a weird. It's probably not an exact translation no. from Russian, but no, I, I get. I'm picking up what they're putting down. Yeah. Um, I I was talking to a Russian once, and and we were just talking about slang terms. 
And he said, yes, this one really bothers me. You slap the goat in the mouth like it's your mother. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? And he's like, yeah, it doesn't translate to English the same way, but in Russian it really matters. I'm like, that is so strange. Yeah, I'm I, lost. I know. I, I was yeah. lost, too. It was just one of those. I was like, okay, this is a cultural difference, I yeah. guess, at this point. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I will say Russian drivers are aggressive, to say the least. They're not afraid to uh, use the fenders, tear a bumper off or two, you know, maybe a little more than that. Uh, I, yeah. I had a Russian used to work for me in one of my companies, and he told me that the thing about Russians, because of the inference influence of the Soviet system that you have all these generations that were basically atheists that their religion was the state Mm -hmm. it was illegal to believe in a god and everything was the state the state the state and everything was performance for the state and there was no moral grounding so the whole system without having some kind of responsibility to a higher power people there was uh, much less guilt in in terms of taking actions. And to this day, because the instructors are people that still came out of that system, so it's a very ruthless mentality because they don't feel there's a penalty for cheating, basically. And then if you watch that movie Icarus, you realize the Russians really don't care about I still cheating need to see that. at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, they asked the doctor who's in charge of all doping for the Olympics, was there a clean athlete? And he's saying, no, there was not a single clean athlete. I mean, the Russians got kicked out of the Olympics, I believe, yeah, but, right now, didn't they? Yeah, well, they, they can they can compete under the IOC flag, I believe, but they can't compete for their own country. Or, so crazy. or I think, uh, I, I can't remember how it is. Like, they're banned from some events, but not all. Like, And, and so, even, even going back to the Summer Olympics, too, in Sochi. Um, that was, or was winter. That, that was winter. winter. Yeah. Summer was Brazil. Okay. And so, did, but I think weren't they suspended the, in Brazil? Didn't the track team get suspended? Or that was I the one that, that was allowed? I thought this was after. No, before Brazil, they. I think there were some athletes that got banned, but others, like in major events, like the track team, the wrestling, and they let team, them right boxing. Yeah, they all they all were allowed to compete under the Russian flag too. If we keep talking. We're gonna walk outside of the gym here. Vladimir Putin's gonna be sitting there <laughs> with a rifle pointed at us, and we're not gonna make it old. I don't think Putin really gives <laughs> a crap about you and me right now. I'd hope not. I honestly, he's sitting back and just laughing on sitting on top of the pile of money and ownership that Dude's he has. Dude's a black belt in sambo, isn't he? Judo. 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 S- still pretty legit. Yeah. Or it, there are no belts in sambo, is there? Uh, you get a master of sport in that. Oh, okay. They look at it more like education. Sambo's pretty interesting yeah. as a martial art. The Soviets sent people out all around the world to basically take the best of what they thought the most effective martial arts were, and they brought it back, and they turned it into a system, which was Sambo. And then eventually it became much more grappling-heavy because the Sambo competitors started competing in judo and wrestling more. So it's it's the the easy translation for it it really was judo with a bit of a wrestling influence and in the rule structure in judo you can't leg lock but you can armbar and choke and in sambo you can't choke but you can armbar and leg lock so the the japanese style was chokes and armbars mm-hmm. the russian style was leg locks and armbars and the russians were dominating judo competition for the longest time because Sambo's legit. <laughs> it was just legit. The Japanese actually 
change the rules of international judo to defeat the leg attacks that the Russians were winning with. So they took, you're not allowed to grab the pant-legged judo now because they wanted, so there was two schools. You have classical judo and then you have modern judo. Modern judo is all about just winning at any cost. Classical judo was winning by doing what was considered to be perfect judo. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese are very much in that mindset where they want to win in a particular fashion where the Europeans are, we just want to win. So the Russians would do anything they could within the rule structure. They would push every single rule to the limit to try and give themselves an edge, which when it comes to competition, why not? Why not? It's very, very similar with a race car. Well, it's everything. Yeah. It's everything. Yeah. The mentality between so the cultures and competition. So the Japanese yeah. petition to make... to to even to just add more rules to just take away as many of the advantages as they can. And the Japanese have actually been a little bit more successful as of late because of the rules change, because their style now is a winning style again, which is fine, whatever. It's their sport. Let them do whatever. But I, I truly think in all sports, the problem are humans. When you put winning and losing out there, it changes everything. And then you take money and fame and glory, and all these concepts that we throw out. I mean, I'm an extremely competitive person. I hate losing more than I like winning. I mean, if you got into a thumb fight, thumb war with me, I would get pissed off if I lost. Like, I don't like to lose at anything. My wife gets mad at me because I don't like... She's like, will you let your kid win at the Lego game? We play Lego superheroes on PlayStation. And my wife is like, will you let him win? And I, it just kills me. It's hard. Like, he's just going to be weak if I let him win all the time. I don't know. There's something wrong with me. I'm not. I am not that dad, by the way. If you asked my son, he wouldn't even. He doesn't. In no way am I that guy. I I definitely check myself, but I don't want to check myself. But I do, because being a good dad is more important. There, there's a time and a place in Lego superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. But. The competitive thing as humans, we're just competitive people. I mean, it's just part of it's just part of humanity. And then when you add all that stuff together, we cheat. That's what happens. I mean, I laugh the the most is if you look at the most financially successful things going in our society, tend to be attached to shortcuts, distractions. I mean, that's all entertainment is. Entertainment is one big distraction. There's no education in that. There is to a degree, I guess. There are stories that are being told that maybe inspire and educate. But for the most part, it's the distraction. Yeah. That's all they do. Yeah. They want you to stay part of the herd and just watch the mainstream stuff and not really formulate your own opinion, whatever. I'm going deep on this. I don't know where I'm going, but wait a minute. Uh, but so you get this whole control thing. And yeah, it, it, it's it's really tough. It's tough. I, I don't know how you have pure sport. MMA, look at the problem we've had with steroids over the years with MMA. It's, it's, it was, I mean, we have Generation S with, with fighters and UFC brought USADA in to combat it. But you can't tell me that a huge portion of this roster is still not dirty. I hate to say it, but it, I just can't believe that these people are still not trying to figure it out. A lot of people are testing, you know, dirty. And stop telling me it's the dirty, the dirty industry of supplements. Mm. There is a portion of people that are taking tainted supplements, and you know things are happening. But when it's happening over and over and over and over and over, I'm sorry. I, I know what USAD is doing with these people, and I know the information these athletes have. And if you're not trying to game the system, 
I, I don't know. It's a whole thing. That's that's something that um, not so much not so much with the uh, individual uh, person in racing, but like where where in combat sports, really any you know physically uh, or any sport that relies on the human element solely, right? It's mm-hmm. not a combination of you know. Uh, a person and a, and some form of tool, right? Like a race car, for yeah. example, because the race car is merely a tool. But if that car is prepared in a way that doesn't align with the rule book or doesn't align with, you know, the, the specification in which it was originally intended to be built as, that's I suppose our version, the racing that's world's your version. Steroid. Of that's your steroid. Steroid, right? Now, and it's not just, you know, that guy's making more horsepower than me or anything like that. It could be something as simple as, well, they cracked open their shocks and did something that's, you know, maybe just far enough outside of what's how, legal. How much, of, how, much a difference. Of a, how much of a problem is that in the sport, would you um, say, without getting yourself in too much trouble? It's it's hard to say, man. There, I think it all depends on what area of the sport you're in and uh, and and kind of the folks that you're working with there there are some that um you know same mentality everywhere where if you're not cheating you're not trying right yeah. but then there are others where you know they're they're not going out on the witch hunt but they're they're making sure that everybody knows that their hands are clean no matter what the result i'm not some squeaky clean you know don't push the limits thing but i do feel that if you can't do it within the system it's a it's a weakness within yourself especially with steroids and athletes i find that okay so you're in if you're in a sport so when lance armstrong won the tour de france they go back and they test these samples if you look at the years that they stripped on the title nobody's they didn't give it to anybody because they started testing the samples i think it was 130 riders before they found somebody clean. <laughs> yeah, I read that too. <laughs> so, yeah. you, you, in his particular situation, he probably couldn't win clean in the beginning. His last race, they were saying the 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 one where he did the comeback, he probably would have taken the place that he did no matter what. He was just in that position. But again, he was in that position because of years and years and years of using. Also, so his heart stronger than right. any other human being's heart on the planet. But um, you know the fighting when I I have trained guys that I know were dirty I try not to train guys that are dirty but there have been times over the years where guys have been they know who they are and we had blatant conversations about the struggle because once you go down that path you have that thought in the back of your head I'm not going to be good enough without it mm-hmm. and then you're ruined yep because now you're just down the rabbit hole. Well, now now it's it's a psychological war, isn't it? It's the psychological war. So when you get tired, oh, it's because I'm not taking, I'm not yeah. using. Yeah. Oh, I'm breaking down and not getting, you know, I'm not uh, recovering as quick. It's because I'm not using. Well, yeah, some of that is true, but more than anything, you're avoiding strength. Is as much dealing with adversity, having the ability to shoulder the pain and continue. That is strength. Strength is not I can lift 300 pounds. Strength is I can lift 300 pounds when I'm dead ass tired and everything hurts. That is the strongest dude in the room. And in fighting, 
the guy that can suck up the most pain and keep going is the guy that it's forget about just being good at the elite levels and it's got to be the same thing for you racing at the elite level everybody's elite mm-hmm. your skill sets are the best you all are equal but it's the ability to endure it's the ability to stay focused to not lose concentration in the stress moment it's having that edge it, it's uh there are more than a lot of people who can be trained to drive a car very quickly around a racetrack for one lap yeah for one lap a lot there are a lot of people who can do the one lap and um there, there are definitely some who can do it better than others, but there are some people who are, uh, in racing, e- even well-known as uh, qualifying guy, right? They're known for just being able to put together that one perfect lap, and then that's it. Now, that's after, the gym fighter. That's the guy that can beat everybody in the gym. Right. But then when it comes to race Competition time... Competition time, they can't right, win. And, and they've got somebody pressuring them from behind, or maybe you know they are going through some And that some was adversity. the word, pressure. Right. That's right. the guy who can deal with the pressure and keep it together. Right. That's the winner. I, I, had, uh, I have a guy I used to train. His name's Jenny Karashloff. Jenny was the least skilled person I think I've ever put in competition. He may be listening to this. Yes, Jenny, you are probably one of the most least skilled people I've ever worked with. But the reason I let this kid fight was because no matter what happened, he never stopped looking for a way to win. Mm-hmm. It was it was ridiculous. I probably the hungriest person for a win I've ever worked with. We we stopped training. He when he was a teenager, he had some personal issues, and then he straightened him out. And now he's in the military and he's doing really well. He's married. He has kids, and I consider him to be a success story over the years because we had a bit of a chaotic time training together and then he had some really big personal problems and he got into a little bit of trouble with the law and the military became his only real option and he took it and then he discovered himself and I'll never forget we were at a point where if we saw each other in the street we probably would fight when that's the bad terms we left on he Hmm. we it was not good he said some things he shouldn't have said and he did some things he shouldn't have done and I called him out on and he didn't like it and it was just it was bad and then he sent me an email and he's been in the military for like two years, I think, at this point. He sent me an email, and he goes, I didn't really understand what it is you were trying to do until I went through boot camp. And he said, while everyone else was getting either butt hurt or, or quitting or whatever because somebody was coming down hard on him, he was prepared. <laughs> because I came down so hard on him about everything. He looked at everything he was going through as a joke. He said that training with our group just prepared him for adversity and that's what got him through and gave him the ability to thrive and he's in special forces he's not in you know regular military he's in special forces he's doing some crazy things right now and he's one of these guys on the tip of the sword and i I believe he got a law degree i mean this is a kid who literally Mm. failed out of high school now went and got a law degree completely turned it completely turned it around and it was just something later in life came about that connected him with what we were trying to achieve that he couldn't understand and it just brought it all together mm-hmm. and he said oh i get it now and then he just started to excel but he's one who can thrive under pressure because 
and you know it's funny we talked about it he came back off a tour in Afghanistan or Philippines something crazy he was jumping out of helicopters taking out Al Qaeda guys in the middle of nowhere sweet crazy and he comes back and it was the under pressure shifted too because he had this need to win that he didn't understand like he just had to win but he didn't really know why he had to win Mm -hmm. and he figured that out too so now he has this not a need to win he has an understanding of why winning matters and he wants to win it's not that he has this uncontrollable urge to win now it's a conscious choice Mm -hmm. which is that is the ultimate level of operating too right but it it, i mean by the sounds of it and and correct me if i'm wrong it it seems like this is a guy who is also doing it for himself right doesn't isn't going out trying to trying to win to make other people happy or fulfill other people's well, now expectations though, well, or I think that, obligations to others, right? He's doing it because he himself wants to get it done, and that's something that uh, I think yeah, certainly the deserves military, the utmost of respect. But I think in the military, connecting himself with a higher ideal, because he's not out there doing what he does. It's not sport. This is life and death, mm-hmm. and he's willing to die for what he believes, and what he believes in is this country and our way of life and our security and the guy standing next to him. So it gets really deep now. So he's making a choice to risk his life. He's he's making a choice to eat a bullet if he has to, to protect our country, our beliefs, whatever. So he's connected to a higher sense of purpose. So that, And he's making the conscious choice to do that. So mm-hmm. he's operating on a level that's just really hard for a lot of ordinary civilian people to understand because i mean even with sport we choose to to be athletes because we want to be successful athletes you don't decide to drive a car to defend a way of life you do it to support your life (laughs) to create a life but you're not driving a car to defend other people in this country no so when you lose a race there's not a risk that a foreign entity is going to hurt somebody where you live. No. No. Not a chance. Totally different. Not a chance. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's why that's it, it chaps my ass a little bit when I see people trying to compare warfare and actual combat, combat sport or sport in general. It's very different. A punch zipping by my head is not a bullet. No. 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 It's no. totally different. No, I, I can't. I, it's totally I, different. I, I can't ever put myself in uh those shoes, man. I mean, that's that's something that uh, it, it it goes without saying how how badass some of these people are who are who are going out there and getting it done. So, yeah, I, I to to have that level of commitment is it's funny. I have people that criticize the military. I'm not. This is a non-political. This is from a purely functional standpoint. I know from people in in business. When they hire from the military, in a lot of ways, you would think people from the military would be good for business, but there's different people in the military. You have people in the military that only know how to take direction. Well, the key word is people. Yeah, it's people. But some people in military roles are trained to only take direction. Mm -hmm. There are people that are trained to only give direction, and then there are people that are trained to be creative thinkers because there's the military doesn't solve one problem. It doesn't have 
one thing it does. It's a multi-level, multi-problem-solving entity. It has to run, it has to control itself, and then it also has to go into some of the most hostile territory in the world and solve problems on the fly. And if you fail the problem, you or people you know are dying. Mm-hmm. It's completely different. So you get somebody that comes out of special forces, let's say. They tend to be more creative thinkers. Then you get people that are coming out of the officer ranks. They tend to be good people at giving orders. But then you get people that are, have never progressed to that level that are more administrative positions or even – grunts in a lot of ways like a guy who's slugging a backpack for 30 miles and told to shoot that target is very different than a guy who's dropped in enemy territory and told hey you got to figure out what to do here people that are just told what to do over and over and over and over again become the direction takers Mm -hmm. they're not the best people for all the jobs there are certain jobs that those people are perfect for and some jobs where they have to think they're not ready because they just are followers so you know that's where if you're going to work that's why you can't have one idea about anything because yeah. there's – like you said, it's people and people are diverse and there are certain skill sets and certain molds that the military actually develops in people. So they're, you know, people that take direction are better off in jobs where they're working under really strong leaders. And then people that are strong leaders in the military tend to be strong leaders outside the military and the creative people tend to be creative, more entrepreneurial and that kind of stuff. So, Well, from the outside looking in, it could be a little bit – you know, like institutionalized, can it? But uh, I think the the other key word there is problem solving. Yes, and I think that's where um, you know when you when you do get somebody who's whether whether they have experience in the military or not, you know, they just can remain calm when it comes to solving, you know, whatever problem. And and it's like, um, God, I can't remember who always says this says this, but uh, like like combat sports, high. High level problem solving. I think that's from a Joe Rogan podcast. You know what? The other thing is, but like uh, racing, racing's very similar too. Where, uh, I mean, is there any particular problem? It depends on what it is. Maybe we're trying, like for example, at this test in Daytona, what's our problem? We have no problem in particular, but we're trying different things on the. Well, call. you do have a problem. You have a problem in front of you. You have a problem. The problem. It's a math problem. It's how do you you know, get around the track X amount of times <laughs> faster than everybody else. It's a problem. Who completes the most laps in 24 hours. There you go. <laughs> so how 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 do you squeeze as many laps as you can? So yeah, it's a yeah. problem, and you guys are all like hyper-focused on how to solve it. And the cool part about racing, a lot of people think about racing as a driver. The one aspect of it that I really like is the team concept of it because you really depend upon everybody. Every single person has a part in the success of that car it's not just the driver it's not just the car because there are mechanics and there are Mm -hmm. strategy and there's even the guy who's raising the money so that you guys have what you need to do what it is you do this is not a sport that you can do without anything no fighting you don't need anything to do it you literally could go walk into a room and punch somebody in the face and you're in a fight (laughs) but driving you need a car yeah and to drive well, you need a really good car. You you need a car. You need a team. You need you need the right equipment to support that team. You need yeah. the right equipment to support those drivers. So, so and you yeah. need money to make sure that the drivers live a comfortable enough life so they're not worn out and they can actually focus and they can give a hundred percent to what they do. Are you calling us a bunch of prima donnas? No, not at all. I actually <laughs> am not. I, I I honestly one of the things that drives me the most nuts about sport in general is that. 
the needs of the of the the direct participant meaning the driver of the car the guy who has to do the fighting in the ring the the players of the sport they don't get taken care of at certain times but are still expected to perform at high levels and there comes this weird time where in the beginning everything's just hard Mm -hmm. because you're learning and you really are not worth the full investment yet because you haven't proven yourself but you're you still are worth an investment because you have to invest to make that mature and see what happens but then you get that weird middle point where you really are good now your skill set really is good but you're still not getting the support you need to be able to fully you know push yourself to that next level and what decides that you're going to get it or not in a lot of ways that's where the weird politics of everything come into play that's when the who you know how you can figure it out comes in it doesn't matter if you're a fighter or whatever you know Carl Roberson fights out of here he's in the UFC people think he's loaded now i'm not going to say i don't uh, we've probably talked about what he made i'm not going to do it right now but he didn't make enough money to be considered if this is the only fight that he got for the year he would be making under minimum wage. Mm-hmm. He needs to fight multiple times a year, right? And he's still a blue collar worker until he gets higher up in the ranks. But even even though he's got the talent to be, he has a talent. He could fight. Of, he could compete with anybody in the top ten. Yeah, one of those guys who can who can fight once a year and yeah support himself for the next five. Yes, you know it, it's it's yeah, it, it, he's it, still got a there's still a pecking order and you still yeah. have to work your way up and you have it's to work your way up and you have to make the yeah. relationships and you have yeah. to do the right thing so absolutely that's one of the things that's really hard but uh, there there are a lot of guys that get ground down by it and i don't i don't see a lot of people helping these guys get through these times they kind of say because again in sports where there's not a lot of money everybody's just trying to get theirs mm-hmm so when everybody's suffering, you're not giving a crap about the guy standing next to you. You only care about getting yours because you got to get yours. I mean, me. I mean, I've got a wife and a kid with another kid on the way. The, my primary focus in life has to be taking care of my family. And as long as I can take care of my family, I'll take care of everybody else who needs to be taken care of. I'm good. Mm-hmm. But my primary focus, I have to take care of my family. And if I can't take care of my family to a level that I'm comfortable with, how the hell am I going to take care of you and your family? I can't. Right. right. I can't. I have obligations. So that's that's that balance between athlete and coach, but also the industry has to address that too because the coaching side of it, I, I'm not I'm not asking for anything. I'm good. I can take care of myself. But at the same time, I think that the industry itself needs to address the idea of how do we find a balance so everybody does get taken care of better so that we can perform better. Because at the end of the day, the better we all do our jobs – the better the overall sport is, the more longevity it has, the higher the performance is. It's just better. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's crazy. We get, we're sitting here talking about racing, talking about fighting, talking about all that stuff. I do business outside of sport. I have other ventures that I work with, and I have other businesses that I help. Same conversation. Mm-hmm. Same conversation. Yep. yep. It's the same. Well, that's why there's so many parallels between sport and you know business life or just everyday life too. Right. Every CEO that I know read sports books yeah because or, or they were athletes when they were younger people hey, as well weren't they my father was an extremely successful football player i it's crazy i went to lunch right before christmas i went to baja fresh to get lunch and i'm standing in line and this guy goes brian i 
turn around. I hadn't seen this guy in 20-something years. And I go, oh, my God, Phil. It was this guy, Phil Yelovich. And I haven't talked to him forever. And he was like, Brian, right, oh, my God, how you doing? And I'm like, good. And he's like, how's your dad? And I'm like, he's good. And I'm like, man, blah, blah, blah. And immediately... He just goes right into, your dad saw something in me. He believed in me, and I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for your dad. And it didn't really dawn on me. We talked for about 20 minutes, but he wouldn't stop going back to my dad and my dad's influence on him. And for me, I, I don't talk to a lot of people that have worked with my father, but a lot of things started to click. And I even said it to Phil. I was like, yeah, my dad's a team builder, I guess. He's like, yeah, you know, the one thing with your dad he always brought people together and you never understood why it was those people but he saw something in them and then he brought them together got them to work well and we're all successful 20 years ago my dad saw something in a group there were like four or five guys in particular and they're all really well off now Mm -hmm. and when i say well off not rolling in dough one of them made a lot of money but more than anything families, homes, not they don't have a lot of the personal problems that I see in other situations. Right. It was just really stable guys that the, created a way of life that they could live forever. The modern American dream. Yeah. If so, you want to call it that. And I just I just like the bell went off of me with the sport aspect aspect of my father. My father grew up in a house where my grandfather was an a super elite coach. Mm-hmm. I mean he was a backfield coach for the Giants. Um Super elite coach. Screwed up human being. I don't care if anyone hears it. My grandfather had a lot of problems. But uh, when it came to people in certain areas, he knew how to bring them together. And I guess my father picked that up. And then I look at a lot of the choices that I've made. And I, I, I'm I, not emulating my father in any way. I do believe there's some transference in the genetic side of it, too. It's very – I see things in my son. I'm like, I've never talked about this. I don't know how the hell he, he's behaving the way he's behaving. Like, <laughs> he's never seen me do this. He's never heard me talk about it. He's doing exactly what I did when I, I, he, I was his age. This is blowing my mind. But so there was this, this thing. My father, I just recognized he was always a coach, and it didn't matter if he was in sport or when he transitioned to business. He built teams. He built successful teams to solve problems in a way that got the victory appropriate to the context of what they were in. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And I recognize that. That literally just happened this Christmas. I saw that. And uh, that guy, running that guy, it just made me understand It just made me understand some things about my dad I didn't understand before to the same degree. And that was, that was interesting. So that was, uh, you know, it, it's funny when it comes to parents at times you feel like you got to let more go than you have to learn but this is one of those things where learning about my dad's experience with other people made me understand my experience with him differently right so i i just where areas that he we didn't connect in the same way to see that he connected with other people it was just it's just different scenarios well, but it's a, it was, it's a it little was, bit of a, it was interesting this is very interesting a little bit of a perspective shift isn't it Yeah, absolutely. I haven't even thought to him about it. It was just uh, one of those ones. And yeah, so literally run into that guy. It was kind of like, whoa. (laughs) You know what? Maybe maybe I did get a bit of this. So I've been very fortunate over over the course, at least earlier on in my car racing career, to work with some really phenomenal coaches and uh, guys who, who help not just connect me with the right people, but also 
helped me become a better driver, better better guy behind the wheel as well. And um, a lot of them would say very similar, if not the exact same things that my dad would say. My yep. dad's he never raced. Uh, I mean, apart from uh, building and racing his own f- flat bottom skiffs back in the day, uh, he never ever put a car around a racetrack. Never had any prior experience to this, but for whatever reason, he he's a guy who's got an unbelievable ability to observe and and absorb what he observes and be able to communicate what he observes. I think I think that's a very important part, and that's something that I think uh, you know I'm, I'm fortunate that's to have from him is is the communication aspect. But that's the best thing a coach can do. I mean, that right. is forget about teaching you a skill in the beginning. There's coaches. I even know this with coaches. There are some coaches that are really good with people in the beginning in terms of teaching them the basics of things. They're really good at communicating in a way that's going to help you learn. Mm -hmm. But once you've absorbed it, you've internalized it, and now you're applying it, the best high-level coach is not somebody that's giving you more than that outside view because you know you're not remembering it as it's actually happening the no. way it went down no. you're 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 translating that through your stress pressure brain and they're sitting on the outside actually watching how it all lines up and they're saying to you hey you may feel like you're doing this but you're actually doing that so i need you to do this instead because that's what you need to do to win and you know that and i'm just reminding you yeah. you know that's that thing and that's why with if your dad has the ability to be to see that and to translate that in a way that you can accept, man, yeah, that's that's great. Well, here's the interesting part. So he he would see the same things, be able to communicate in in a way that I totally understand uh, the exact same things that some of these coaches or team members would see. But maybe it's just because the relationship between father and son, there's always going to be you know emotions in there yeah, as well. Absolutely, right? You don't absorb it the same. No, not at all. Way. Uh, one other thing I was going to ask you too, because this you actually brought it up uh, from the observation perspective. Have you ever gone back and watched um, some of your fights? That so let let's say you you know you, no matter what the result is, um, somebody was there with a camera filming your fight, or it was you know yes I've seen right, my fights right. So you've went back and watched them. Yes. From an objective point of view on, hey, maybe this it's is what I can It's a process before right. I can be objective. It takes a couple times because the first time, no matter what, I'm horrified at what I'm watching. Right. I, the first time <laughs> I'm like, I'm- what did I do? What was I thinking? Oh, my God. I'm the worst. Like, I'm garbage. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yep. I'm like, and then I'm like so frustrated. I can't get through it. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. And then I'll come back around and I'm like. All right, I got to give myself a little credit for that, and then eventually, then all of a sudden, I go from thinking I'm garbage to, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this, yeah. and then I get over myself, and then I start getting analytical, yep. and then yep. I start taking the mental notes on, I could have done this better, I could have done that better, that yep. better, and it's funny, from that perspective too, I have, I actually think I have more fights that I lost where I felt better about things I was doing than fights I won. For some reason, I've always gotten hypercritical on my wins. And I'm like, man, I won. But God, I, I wish I won differently. And then I've lost. And I'm almost proud of the way I lost. Because one thing with fighting is 
I don't know in car racing if there's a way you could be I'm not, proud of losing is is the worst. I've never taken pride in losing, but there are things I've done in the process of it where I, I've been like, okay, I've proved something to myself there. Right, right. You know, where that, if I put you know two and two together in the next one, yeah, it's going to be pretty damn good. Case in point on this, I know where you're going with this, and uh, I've lost thing. a better, I've lost a better men, and I'm okay with that. Right. And I've lost to better men in ways that I showed them that you may be technically more skilled or this may have been your day, but you're not actually better than me. Mm-hmm. Today, you're better than me, but you're not better than me. You're not tougher than me. And if we did this again, I will crush you. And oh. that's why they don't I, – I have no rematches. Going, going back to what you said before, what is strength, right? Yeah. It's the one who can power through. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, was, I was about to say this too. This happens quite a bit. And again, there are so many variables that could play into this in racing, whether it's setup of the car, it's track conditions, even even at a place like Daytona where the straightaways for us are so long, uh, wind direction, yeah, at only a couple miles. And an you hour have no control over will these make things. oh it'll make a massive difference to your overall lap time. So, like for example, this weekend there were laps that. Uh, I had put together that weren't as quick as my my personal quickest lap in whatever car I was driving, my personal quickest lap of the weekend. But I I go back and I look at some of the information coming from the car um, that, like, of of those laps that weren't the quickest, but they felt phenomenal. They felt, like, on it. And I go back and I look at those, I'm like, damn... If only I did it, you know, like a couple hours earlier in the day when the wind direction was a little bit better, you know, it was 10 degrees cooler out or, or the, something the like one that, thing, right? But it's, uh, yeah, the, you that's how you learn, I think. The one thing with racing versus fighting is if you make too many mistakes in a fight, there may not be another fight. No. Where racing, I, I guess it gets to that point, too, where if you lose so many in a row, you're going to lose your investors or you're going to lose the confidence of your team and then you're done. For sure. But... At least if you lose on Friday, you're not going to be physically damaged going into Saturday. Well, it depends on how you lose. Yeah, unless you wreck your car. <laughs> unless you're in the if fence. You, if you lose because you're slow, yeah. that's different. Yeah. Well, Which, I mean, that's that's about... The worst thing is if you're slow and you wreck the car. Yeah. Then you're in pretty bad shape there. But uh, I will say this. There are a lot of very, very good drivers out of jobs right now. And this is how competitive, in the GT racing world, in the endurance sports car racing world, how competitive it is to try to find yourself a seat. There are some really phenomenal drivers out there who can put together those good laps and can can be consistent. They can run those really quick lap times over and over and over again. They, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs. Maybe they communicate well with the teams. Maybe they don't. You know, maybe they work well with their co-drivers. Maybe they don't. I can't go as far as comment on that. But I will say, you know, when you look at the numbers, they're very good drivers. Yet they've made you know one mistake at a very critical point in the season. Or, uh, or a very critical point in a race in particular, and they damaged the car in some way, shape, or form, and now they're out of a job. You know, and this- that is something that um, I think is just getting worse in the racing world, and that's something that, that I actually put on my shoulders quite a bit, where, damn, if, you know, if I make a mistake with this thing right here, right now, I am probably not going to be driving But you want to know it, though? You know? I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. I have a problem with too many people at the table. I, 
I my biggest criticism with a league like the UFC is when the UFC had seventy fighters on the roster, that was the Super Bowl every show. Yeah. yeah. Every show was the Super Bowl. You are fighting for everything every time. It, it didn't matter if it was you were fighting for the belt or not. You didn't know if you would get brought back. You because the the table had only so many seats. Mm-hmm. And the level of competition, it was special that way. I'm not saying it's not special. It's still the elite league. Having 550 athletes on roster now is a lot different than when it had 70. But also, you have to take into account there's probably 5 million active fighters on the planet right now. So that 550 is still the elite of the elite. But there are a lot of guys in the UFC that are questionable about being there. And hey, it's fine that it's questionable. still smack me around but you know it's it's questionable but that question has to be answered and if it's answered a positive way they'll stay if it's not they'll go and the next guy will be brought in so i love that it's tough to get somewhere yeah because it makes you really strive to be better if it was easy to get to the sport would suffer well it also um right i i'd certainly agree with that the show wouldn't be that good but it is sad when you see a really high caliber person that you know should be there but for whatever reason the perception of that person makes it impossible for them to break through perception or i mean even even in the case of fighting right injuries something like that so we're saying the wrong thing at the wrong time wow right there there is some of that that's that's life more than some of that in motor racing yeah where you just make one you just close doors out of line comment yep you know He's not a team player, even though he said an off-the-cuff statement being taken out of context, which (laughs) everyone's completely misunderstanding, and his apology comes across as hollow because perception became reality before he made the apology. I've seen this happen a million times and a million different things, and that's why I tell everybody, really be careful what you say. Oh, yeah. So you have to be careful. I am – my wife tells me all the time that I say things I shouldn't say. I probably do, but at the same time – I actually do weigh my words. I do think about the context in which I'm speaking. I've cleaned up my language for this because <laughs> because you told me like in your industry that's something that doesn't go across well. So no. I do have the ability to. I, I mean, I'm I will be myself within context, and I yeah. I try to be as respectful as possible within my personal belief system. Let's put it that way. So it, you know. Yeah, but I think there are also times, too, where people need a little bit of a taste of reality because at the end of the day... And that's where my belief system comes into play. Right. Because if I'm saying something real, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. It's the being mean just to be mean garbage that is not necessary or throwing stones just to throw stones or asking to be protected just because you think you should be. No one needs protection. We just have to respect each other. Mm-hmm. You don't need protection. Yeah. And if you really believe in the things you believe in, who cares what anybody else says? If you can't hear a dissenting opinion, I, I have no use for you. Yeah, I, I, I have know. no use that's, for you. That's one thing that's pretty good about racing. Most people have thick skin and, and can get away with uh, hearing stuff that they don't want to hear. But for the most part, yeah, I think... Uh, well, this is where this is where you can get into uh, talking about us snowflake millennials, right? Yeah, you I know need my what, coloring though? books in my I, safe space hey, because hey, you, you criticize me the about one, my performance. I am the one person <laughs> I I I defend millennials constantly. I work with people that oh, yeah, because you got to work with them. <laughs> no, 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 it's not that. I honestly, hey, I think 
what millennials get labeled as is is the same thing every generation every younger generation is labeled the same way by an older generation over and over and over and over and now that i'm getting older i'm understanding it more i'm not old i'm going to be 44 in march i'm not going to be 100 but i'm going to be 44 and there really is a huge difference in understanding the world between 44 and 34 34 and 24 24 and 14 14 and 4 like these decades do matter so at 44, the one thing I can do, because now when I was 34, a 50-year-old wouldn't listen to me. But at 44, a 50-year-old will listen to me. Mm-hmm. And when I listen to what 50-plus people say, I have a different appreciation for it because I'm getting older now. When I was 34, I had, didn't have a lot of respect for what people would say at times. or a, not a, I didn't have empathy for where people were coming from. Where now I'm, okay, I'm getting older I have a little bit more empathy for the position of the person in the 50s and 60s, where they're coming from. I don't agree, but I have empathy for it. I understand that you're trying to protect yourself against the younger generation that's going to take your spot. But when, you know, so when you have a 65 year old that doesn't want to give up their spot in the world to the same person they once were, I laugh. I'm looking at him going, well, when you were 25, what did you do? You're trying to stop every 25-year-old from being who you were. Right. You turned out okay. Why are you not going to allow them well, to? It's, it's the cycle of life, isn't it? Yeah. Professional life. And just to just to note, this is where I am unbelievably lucky to be working with uh, one team in particular this year, Mike Shank Racing uh, in the Acura NSX GT3. Shameless plug there. Um <laughs> No, but I'm working with three drivers who have been established for a long time now. Uh, I'm the youngest one on the team in this car by, by a lot, just in our particular car. We have one other car on the team that are, or I shouldn't say we, they have one other car on the team that has uh, a little bit more use to it. But really, uh, the car that I'm in, there are a group of drivers who are, who are in their early and mid-30s, all phenomenal with what they do. But they're not looking down on a guy like me who's who's kind of the new kid coming in. Uh, they're not being disrespectful. They're not withholding information. They're totally open book. They're gracious about everything, and they're they're doing the best they can to uh, to try to bring me along to eventually be in their position at some point when I'm their age. And as a as a young guy coming into this and and relatively new to this level of racing, that is like. I couldn't be any more that lucky. That is so rare. I, I am anything. so lucky to be working with you're these You're definitely these, these you're lucky with that. And uh, I, I actually would be curious. This is something that I would possibly want to understand even deeper just to just for my curiosity. I mean, maybe have a conversation with them about... Racing drivers has heavy goes, yes. But no, but just talk <laughs> to these guys about how... how what is allowing them to bring you on, having a conversation like that, and then bring it back and let us know? Because I, I'm when I find people that are like-minded that way, that are are open to the idea of people being allowed to have a place at the table a, in a non-threatening way. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 create that is talk about strength, the gritty side of it, shouldering the reality that you're getting older, shouldering the reality that you will be replaced at some point. That is when you talk about cycles of life you will be eaten by time and there will always be somebody else taking your place no matter what and 
the process of that happening, I guess, is where we start looking at our mortality. And that's why somebody, you know, you get somebody like, you know, the 65-year-old who doesn't want to allow the 25-year-old because that 65-year-old is saying, okay, now it might be my time that I have to step away. But they may not want to step away, so they're, you know, putting a tantrum up about it. Well, but it is what it is. I don't think I'm a threat to their jobs by any means. But I, I think they, you know, they maybe identify with, with – uh, you know where they were at when they were 22 years old, and maybe see what the what the conditions are like of of trying to uh, you know make something happen in, in the racing world, uh, at least in 2017, 2018, because uh, it it has gotten more difficult. So maybe maybe they see a little bit of that, but um, it's unbelievably rare to have four people in one car who are just all focused on the same task. They're willing to be totally open book share all the information they need to share you know if if one person is is a little bit down they're going to do every they're all going to team up and do everything they can well, to you bring have an, that person up and but you have an agreement then you have an right. agreement to that winning is the focus right because if one of us it's doesn't a do team well win. right it's if, not you winning ex- exactly if one of us doesn't do well the whole team doesn't do yes. well so that's another thing but along with that i think um you know, I'm sure in the back of the mo- in the back of their mind, they know. Hey, you know, at some point, um, you know, the career is going to shift. But I mean, they're all still young enough to where they've they've got plenty of time. They don't really need to worry about that. But uh, their their focus, too. right? Their focus is in the present, and their focus is not how are we going to win the Rolex 24 at the end of the month. Not how am I going to set the fastest lap time. You know of the day or of the weekend it's okay how are we going to take this car on this particular lap and make the most of it and then come into the pit lane you know communicate with the okay. engineers and mechanics and and try to make this so, thing a bit better they're taking it lap by lap corner by corner I their focus to, is right in the moment i used to do long awesome. during i used to do like crazy endurance running like really long running i used to go and run for hours like it, it, it was nuts mm-hmm. i and i would do this in the mountains i used to go to colorado and i would run the mountains and i i would run through the mount, the mountains up in vale colorado i would go for a three and a half four hour run in the mountains yeah i can't do that how do you do that but how do you do that you do it one step at a time mm-hmm. and that is it and whenever you're doing anything i think the best people Okay, you have you can't play checkers. You can't go move by move. You do have to have a long term strategy. But if you do understand what the ultimate goal is, you reverse engineer back to the place you are. You know the map to success, and you just keep going step by step. That's how you win at everything. I don't care what you do. I don't care if it's business. I don't care if it's a relationship. I don't care if it's fighting. I don't care if it's car racing. I don't care what it is. That's the secret sauce right there. You understand what winning is. You define that. Because if the big one of my greatest frustrations working with people is having that undefined end when it's this open-ended scenario. Mm-hmm. Because what's the purpose to the action if you don't know what you're trying to achieve? Yeah. So there was there's this guy. He's got a school. He he's always saying train, just train. That's like their motto. And I'm like, that is the worst motto right. ever. What are you training for? What are you training for? I would rather have train with a purpose than train just train i guess if you're not if you don't know what you want it's better to train than to not train but you have to have an understanding that the sooner you can figure out what winning means to you the closer you're going to get to someplace that's going to matter because when you're living with purpose you function completely different 
having goals and structure and all that. That's where winning gets done. Well, I mean, I think you got to, well, at least in that guy's motto there, I think you got to redefine redefine the slogan because, uh, you know, training implies that there is an end goal, right? And there is a roadmap to where you want to go and what you're going to do, right? You're training for something. But I, I think in if without that, you're just, at least in the physical terms, you're just exercising. You're just you know, yeah. performing a, a movement of fitness. Um, you're uh, not actually training to something. I, I, right? Isn't even, that what training is? I, as Working to a leader a in business, the same thing. It's really it's impossible for me to have people come to my place of work and not give them something to achieve. Nothing get there's no passion or purpose in their job at that point. Mm-hmm. You have to give people a goal, something and even when you're building when you run a company, you run a business, it's a team. It's a group of people working towards an understood goal together. And you have to work together to achieve that goal. Everything is that. I mean, families are that. My wife and I right now, she's got a bun in the oven. We're working as a team to make sure that that baby comes out and we're good. You yeah. know, it's not she's having a baby. No, my whole family is having a baby. My wife is having a baby, but my son needs to understand what that means. And I have to be there to support her so that she can do what she has to do. And I, it, it's always multiple levels we're always working together towards something nobody's an island on it one thing i wanted to talk about uh before we hop off this thing tonight was we had a we had a interesting conversation the other day after sparring uh we got a guy in the gym who can't calm down in sparring and he feels like he has to crush everything all the time or well, else when he is calm he throws a mean overhand right and it always lands so i can tell you that yeah but uh, yeah, that that was relatively interesting, but it was it was something where I didn't know if it was necessarily my place to hop in there and maybe give my two cents, but it felt so relatable to what maybe I you know mental preparation or mental uh, errors in mental preparation that I made this last weekend in one of the cars that I was driving, one yeah. of the situations that I was in, um, to where it was like, man, yeah, you know, maybe maybe if I uh, talk, you know, open up about it a little bit. You know, I'll help him in the process. Help myself. Well, I heard you starting to go there a little bit too, and that was that was where it kind of piqued my interest because it didn't sound like you had the best weekend driving, and and you you were kind of relating to that. I, I kind of picked up that was going on too. So, uh, well, I mean, it it was good and bad. It was one of those scenarios where you you know that you didn't f- perform to your full potential, and I you know what? To be honest with you, I kick myself in the ass about that more than. Finishing second, finishing third, finishing fourth. When I know, hey, even even if we were at the top of the time charts, which we were, at times it was it was still a scenario where I consistently was not bringing my A game. And Here's that, the coast quitter kill. That just okay. Well, I don't care. Horrible. Who you are, when you're in a pressure situation that has any kind of any kind of length of time attached to it, you're gonna run into a moment where you have to make a decision. Are you going to coast and see what happens? Mm-hmm. Are you going to quit and just accept the fact that you're just not going to do well that day? Or are you going to suck it up and you're going to kill it and you're going to win no matter what it all costs? Mm-hmm. You hit that conversation. That happens. I don't care if it's... It happens in sparring. It happens in any combative situation, in any competitive situation, wherever there's pressure. There will be a point where time slows down and you will be confronted 
with that moment where you now have to decide. That line in the sand gets drawn in your brain where you're going to say, eh, I guess I'll just keep going and see what happens. I don't want to anymore. Or, you know what? I really want this. I'm going to get this done at all costs. Yeah. I had a fight in 1999. I fought in the World Sabaki Challenge. I trained completely wrong for it. Completely wrong. Uh, I had to fight in Denver. So I'm fighting in Mile High City. And my cardio was garbage for that fight. I was doing I was doing pad work, but I was I was using a guy who was too light, so he didn't have a lot of resistance. So I wasn't getting tired on the pads as much as I should because it was too easy to move the guy. I, I was doing bad work. I wasn't sparring enough. I just I was doing strength and conditioning with a coach who was also working with football players and he was putting me through football player workouts. So it was short bursts. There was really I was really strong. I could explode, but I could only do it a couple times before I need to rest. So let the other guys go out and play for a little bit, then I'll come back again. I was not ready for a fight. I wasn't ready for three rounds in Denver going at it. And uh, I go out there to fight. And the first round, <laughs> I remember I came back in the first round, and my corner goes to me and goes, how do you feel? I said, I really don't feel that good. He punched me in the face. And I was like, you do that again, I'm going to kill you. That was one. He never cornered for me again. I was so mad. He smacked me right in the face. And he goes, you feel fine. I was like, no, I really don't. Don't hit me anymore, please. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Second round, we go out. And I am just, boo, energy's going down, 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 down. My body's starting to hurt. My lungs are tightening up. I'm getting crampy. I'm dying out there. And I came back. I couldn't even hear the guy talking to me in the second round. It was like, wah, wah, wah. I thought it was a Charlie Brown cartoon. And then I go back for the third round, and I'll never forget. I'm fighting, and the referee goes, there's a minute left. And the first thought I had was, oh, my God, a whole minute? I have to survive that long? It was like, you say it's a minute, right? Mm -hmm. And it's nothing. But at that moment, it was like he told me that I had to fight for a year. Yeah. I it, he dropped my ego, my everything plummeted, but then time stopped. And I'll never forget. I said, I sure trained wrong for this, but I trained really hard for this. And there is no way that I am not trying to kill this guy for the next minute. He's mine. I am going to do everything I can to win this. I am not quitting on this. I wanted to be here too bad. I trained too hard and too long. And I went nuts. Mm -hmm. I went nuts for a minute through everything I had. When the bell rang, they had to hold me up because I, I ran out of oxygen so bad. I didn't know what to do. I, I couldn't see. Like I was done. They – I basically collapsed they brought me in the back they had to put me on oxygen it was insane i thought i was gonna die i could not breathe mm -hmm. and i actually pushed so hard that it took me probably a year before i wouldn't have panic attacks when i was getting fatigued in training because i went so far that when i would start to feel fatigued it would put me back to this like mm -hmm. crazy scary place where i literally thought i was drowning i could not breathe and I never wanted to go back to that. I had to go to, I went to a sports psychologist over it. He had to teach me how to let that go. It was crazy. Never, ever push that hard. And then just the craziest thing of how my weird life works is I had my retirement fight at 40. I went to the exact same place. But instead of being scared to death 
like I was when I was 24. When I was 24 years old, I hit that place scared to death to go back there. I welcomed it at 40 like it was a gift. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it's you. (laughs) It's you. (laughs) I haven't felt you in 20 years. How you doing? And it just was this reminder that, A, I'm a fighter. Yeah. B, I have endurance. And that I can do anything I want to do. And that's why I got the crap kicked out of me on that fight. But it was this amazing, just kind of wrapped my competitive career up, put a bow on it, reminded me that it was over. Reminded it just it reminded me who I was. It let me know exactly where I was in life, and it gave me the freedom to walk away on my own terms. And I ended it like I began it, and I was totally cool with it. Well. I- I feel like I'm I'm the only one on this, but I'm glad to hear that maybe I'm not. I feel like the only way I learn stuff is the hard way. <laughs> it is the only way. <laughs> and, and don't the, don't don't think yeah. you're weird or special. It is the only way. Yeah, yeah. It's the hard things that make us great. There are some like heartbreaking moments that I've had in in competition and race cars. That uh, man, if I can do it over again, I'd do it completely different. But you needed that in order to progress and move kind of take that next step and that next level in terms of experience and, and career and and uh, you know just become not not a better driver or a better athlete but a better person in the, the one process. the one thing I can share with you about it too is if you do you're you're where I was first time you're you're 23 now right uh, 22 okay you're 22 my god you're not even 23 <laughs> I, I was I think I was 24. And um, so I think I was 24 and to be able to have that experience then and then to be able to come back later on in life and go through it again and understand the maturation process of me as a person, as an athlete and everything and to be able to see that uh, no matter what you think about where you are right now, if you stay the course and you keep the attitude that you have and you keep driving forward, you will hit a place that you can see where you want to go right now, but when you get there, it's not going to be what you thought it was. It's going to be something way better, and it's going to be way different. And that's the, the coolest part about it. Like if you told me what 40 was going to feel like, if you took, if 40, I felt like I felt when I was 24, hmm. but with experience. Physically, I was not. But I felt like I was. Yeah. But the experience... You can't replace that. That 20 years of experience attached to that still, that sense of understanding of myself physically and everything, it was just to be able to juxtapose the two positions really made me understand where I was in life. And that's why I think staying the course and having longevity and not giving in and being that thing you know you were supposed to be will give you the ability to look back one of these days. In 10 years, you're going to look back and you're going to be surprised where you are. And you're you, probably in your 30s, you'll be a little weird about it. But when you get to your 40s, you're going to, if you're still in the game the way you intended, or not the way you intended, but you're still in the game because you've had the endurance to do it, it's, it's just a sense of, of accomplishment that I can't really explain to someone that's 22 years old. Yeah, I mean, on my 20th anniversary this year in this gym, 2018. I opened my first school in 1998. I all I was an arrogant son of a bitch and 
when I was 24. <laughs> you, you, of course, at 44, I'm going to be running the school. But I can't tell you how many times I've doubted that over the years. Yeah, yeah. At 24, you think you're going to live forever and do it forever, and you're going to be the biggest, the baddest, the best. I never thought I'd be sitting here at 44 talking to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm here. I'm doing what I do, and it's half the things I'm doing now didn't even exist in 1998. The mm-hmm. UFC, as it is, didn't exist. MMA was an HB, and like it's just it's this crazy shift in the world. Um, but for me, yeah, I look at 20 years doing this. My God, that's crazy. But I also look at it now. And I don't have the. When I was 24, I, I had the. I I was. I had an arrogance to say, sure. Now I have an audacity to say, at 64, I do expect to continue doing this. Yeah. Because, the first 20 years have given me, the knowledge, the appreciation, the empathy, the humility, everything I need. My toolbox is full. So I can do this another twenty years. But I'm sure you still learn more over the next twenty years. I'll never. Yeah, and, you'll, you'll never stop. But that's where the empathy and the humility and whatnot. And honestly, goes back to what we were saying about the older generation not supporting the younger generation. The second I got over that and understanding my value, that's when everything changed for me. Mm-hmm. Because when I was thirty-four. You would have scared me. You're, if you were 22 when I was 34, you would have scared me because you were threatening to me. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't secure enough in what I was doing because I didn't have enough experience as a person to appreciate the experience I was having as a coach and an athlete yet. But now I kind of get more of it. Again, also, I'm married. I have kids. When I was 34, I had just met my wife. You know, Now she's my wife. And having a family, having children, putting things in real perspective, there, there's just so many things that make it all make sense, which then reopen the door. When you're 34, you don't want to be a beginner. You're fighting to get respect. But when you're 44, you realize you're never not a beginner. Mm. Even with your experience, there's so much out there. And in 2018, it's different too because the speed in which the world's changing is a completely different thing. Right, but but the way we can also access even more information That's on any given topic at any given time. In 1998, I, I didn't have a phone that I literally, like in this conversation, anything we don't know, I can refer to my phone. Right. I can find it out. That's what I'm saying where now it's like this, yes, You're the f- monumental amount of information we have in front of us just... All of us should be humble and be crushed. Our egos need to be crushed, and we need to be open to the amount of data that actually exists out there. Mm -hmm. It's totally different. And if you don't think that there's data that can make you better, constantly being pumped into the system, you're nuts. I don't care what you do. Okay. When I was 24, I, I had to pay the rent to gym. But when I started, I didn't have any students. So I had to still figure out how to pay that monthly nut. So I was selling videotapes. So I used to go, I would buy videotapes in Chinatown of full contact karate and kickboxing fights. I found this place in Chinatown. And then I bootlegged them. And I used to sell them on eBay. 
<laughs> and I said I paid my rent for the first like year and a half. Right. I paid my rent for my house and the rent for my gym by selling bootleg videotapes. Then it became DVDs. But then YouTube had it all and I couldn't sell it anymore. Because now every single fight that I used to sell, I can watch on YouTube right now for free. Yeah. My VHS tape collection of fights is literally for free on YouTube now. My thousands of dollars that I spent on tapes, all free on YouTube. Right. So it's crazy. Like just look at that right yeah, there. But think think about about how much that you know the current medium is going to change in the next twenty years, right? Yeah, I know it's going to be. We're not even going to talk. I'm going to like blink my eyes, and then like the fight video I wanted you to see is going to like be in your brain, and yeah, you'll be able to tell me. Weird. I don't know about that. I don't. <laughs> I think what I think the you here's the one thing racing will absolutely embrace augmented reality you will be in an augmented reality environment you have to be because technology is going to allow you to go faster and push the limits farther but the one thing about fighting technology will help us train better but at the end of the day it's still going to be human on human yeah or else it's not fighting yeah yeah then you have no it's not going to be legal for us to you know be cyborgs we're still going to have to fight mano a mano. That'd be pretty cool. Rather than steroids, you got a bionic arm. Um, I was thinking more <laughs> of like some weird implant that makes us speed up or see things differently or whatever. Hey, Jerome LeBanner is practically a cyborg. The guy's got a metal rod in his forearm from Ernesto who's shattering it. And it was hard for him. They didn't know if they were going to let him fight at first because he has this steel rod in his forearm. And somebody kicked it and hurt their arm. But he actually fought... In his comeback fight, so he, he fights Ernesto Hoost. Ernesto Hoost shatters his forearm. They put this big steel rod in it. His comeback fight, fights this Russian kid whose name escapes me. He was a decent up-and-coming kickboxer. And he kicked LeBanner in the arm so hard that he bent the rod. And he, they had to take it out and put a new one in. Sweet. That's pretty nasty. Dude, that's this, awesome. We had this one guy here, Tom. Tom Rant. He was a wrestler from Rutgers who... Posted up in a right. practice. Is he an ocean He's a cop guy? in Ocean. Yeah, yeah. okay. I, he used to train with us back yeah. in the day. And he posted up in wrestling in college and he collapsed his arm. And now he has a steel ball and like a bunch of wires and a re- reconstructed arm. And the, he couldn't fight because his elbow was literally a steel ball. So if, if you kicked him in the elbow, you'd shatter your foot. Or if he threw a punch and clipped you with it, could you imagine? What, like through an elbow? Could you imagine he hit you with an elbow? Uh, Yeah, no. I mean, that's a cyborg right there. Yeah. That's some craziness. That's pretty sweet. We skipped over a little bit, but the one thing we were talking about the other night, which I just want to wrap this up by going into it, because if... It's, it, it was like a really valuable conversation that we had, and was Mm -hmm. the, the thing that we were kind of going on was, so we have a guy who's getting tense, can't calm down, he's trying really, really hard to do something. So he's basically in sparring. He's trying to hit us because he has this feeling that he has to go hard. He has to push. He has to crush, destroy, whatever. He goes into like, you know, I don't know. Red mist. Yes. I don't know. I'm agreeing with you, and I don't even know why I did because I have no idea what you're talking about. Red mist. What is that? Like, like, I, I don't know. I get that when I drive sometimes. Like this past weekend, for example, when... Everything's cool. I hope no one's listening. They're drug testing the hell out of you before the next race. <laughs> well, yeah, because we already mentioned it. Great. Um, hey, they're more than welcome to. Um, Red Mist, like, you know, you're you're fine, kind of, you know, before you get in the car, you're already a little bit anxious, amped up. But then, at least for me, like, as soon as I put the helmet on, get in the car and cinch the belts down, like, it's all kill all the time. Yeah. Like, I, I am not going to drive to the limits of the car. You know, I'm not going to let... You know, my 
my body feel what the car is doing and make make minor adjustments to that. I am I have one set way I'm gonna do this, and that's it. And if the yeah. car can't handle it, I don't give a crap. I'm gonna drive straight through it. And that's that's the worst mentality. Worst mentality you can have behind the wheel. Of you're gonna car. kill yourself well, or somebody else. Well, it's not even that. You're just not gonna go very. And fast. in sparring, basically, you're gonna get impaled on somebody else's counter technique because you're not actually sparring. You're you're fighting right. yourself at right. that point. Right. Because and that's exactly what at least I saw was no. going on with. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's not fighting. You know, he's not fighting you. He's not sparring with you. He's fighting himself oh, because yeah. he's got this. This thing in him that's this animal in him that's saying, you have to do this. And he's fighting that, trying to keep that down because he knows that's not the way to go. So that internal struggle puts him in a position where he really can't be effective. And But the thing on that was when we start talking about it was the why concept. Yeah, yeah. Why? Well, and then the lack of confidence in the statement, the, the not even the lack of confidence, it always blows my mind. When people start a conversation, well, you may not believe. Okay, so you're telling, you're talking about a pressure situation, and you're talking about a feeling that you've got, and you think you're the only one that feels that way, mm. or you're the only one that's ever felt that way. That's what that statement says. You may not believe me, but okay, so you're saying that it's an unbelievable thing because you're the only one going through it, yeah. which is the a get rid of that. If there's somebody out there. There's a lot of somebodies out there that are going through what you're going through right now. Oh, yeah. And that's why I said when you're training, especially when you first start and that feeling comes into your mind where I don't want to hold people back or I don't want to look stupid or whatever, just remember nobody in the room cares because they're going through their own we issues. All were there. Everybody was Everybody there at one was. point and, and you're going through your own stuff right now. Mm-hmm. These rounds are not easy. You're not worried about Jeremy feeling stupid. You're worried because your heart's hammering and you know there's 35 more seconds and I'm expecting you to throw 10 more kicks. Yeah. You're worried about your garbage. Mm-hmm. Forget about him. So you got to let go of that worrying about what people are going to think. And then you've got to accept the reality that we probably will understand what you're going to say because most likely, because most of the people here have more experience than he does, that we will get it. Mm-hmm. But then you get into the next territory, which was, I feel this way. Okay. Why are you doing that? Well, because I feel. <sighs> okay. I don't care what you feel. I care why you feel. Yeah. Because what doesn't matter as much as why. What is the thing that is What's making root? you feel this way? What's the root cause of yes. the problem? Because here's the thing, too. Like, uh, And at least for me... Right, sparring is one of these things, and and it's the same thing with driving. That's why I like sparring quite a bit. But uh, it's one of those deals where if you show up, you know, not necessarily indifferent, but just like, okay, it is what it is. You're you're calm and you're focused, and then as soon as you get in there, you're focused immediately on the task at hand. Yes. Right. That that's kind of the point of it. You're you're free. You're not worrying about crap, did I pay my credit card bill today or, <laughs> or anything like that? You're worried about, damn, this guy's going to throw this punch. Or I make you're sure not I fighting that person that said something that made you feel weak. Exactly. 
And that's the big one. And that's the rejection point that I stress so much with young people in particular. It's because the sooner you can get over that negative voice that made you question yourself, the stronger you're ultimately going to be. You're going to be. <laughs> hey, I have my own demons from my my own life that I have to address. It amazes me at the weirdest times that it'll pop up the uh, a massive enlightened thought about oh this is why yeah I couldn't understand why certain things were happening in my life for a while and then two and two kind of came together and then I started to understand that it was because someone was consistently having a pattern of behavior as a reaction to things that I was doing that was putting this self-doubt questioning in me and I straightened that out and then but I had to really identify it I Mm -hmm. had to say it was this person saying these things and I needed to tell that person hey you said these things that had this effect on me and I'm just letting you know it has no it has no effect on me anymore Mm -hmm. and that gave me the ability to walk away from it yeah I didn't walk away from the person I walked away from the person's ability to influence me any longer and that was a huge thing right i'm not saying you have to go and you have to address every single person just for me in that particular instance i had to but you have to address the idea of that person in your head just because sally in third grade said you're a pussy doesn't mean you're a (laughs) pussy you know what i mean like oh exactly you know it's like you got to get over you i'm not gonna say get over i don't want to minimize it it's really wild what i would think is a insignificant an experience that someone else it's a massively important event in their life yeah yeah and for the positive or the negative yes and we all have to we all we all have our own judgments on that and that's why i also in this conversation we were having i went to that point of you do have to get to the point where you have to recognize are you doing what you do because the world told you this is a good thing to do or are you doing it because you feel it's a good thing to do Mm -hmm. because if you're making changes because you want to be accepted by the world you're not really being you no you're 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 faking it at that point you're a poser you're just pretending because you want to be liked but if you're being who you are, the right people will like you. There is no downside to being yourself. No. None. No. From, None. From performance perspective, from social perspective, everything. Economic. If you don't accept who you are, who else is going to accept you? The only people that will be your friends are people that don't accept themselves. Mm-hmm. And you'll just be with a group of people that are faking it. And usually that's a pretty slippery slope. It's terrible. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things involved in that world that are really not good. No. Because it's it's a lot of running away and it's a lot of distraction and there's not a lot of substance and it becomes a real problem. That's why, I, I again, I, I just – we had a new person come in tonight and she was asking some questions and I, and I just said, you know – that we're a little bit of a different spot. I don't, I don't create this rah rah fake team mentality. Uh, and the and the example that I gave was uh, not every. I, I say Japanese style, but it just it was the style in which I came up. I got knocked down, and somebody went to help me up, and the instructor came over and said, "Do not help him up." And it was a weird thing. And it was like, look, if 
if you reach down to help someone up, you're telling them they're not strong enough to take to care of themselves. themselves yeah. So you're saying you're too weak to get up. I'm better than you. Show that person enough respect to let them get up. Mm-hmm. And if they can't, then you help them because they need you then. They don't need you now. And the more you let them survive on their own, the less they'll need you and the better you've done for them. Don't you think that's sort of, you know, give a man a fish, teach a man a yes. fish sort of yes, idea? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But that happened to me literally in sparring. Yeah. Somebody smashed me and they kind of felt bad and went to help me up. And they were like, okay, he took your best punch and he can get up and he needs to to let you know that he still belongs on the mat working with you. Mm-hmm. And I so I, I didn't go as deep into it. I was just like, look, this is kind of our thing. I'm not going to sit here and hold your hand to make you feel comfortable unless that's exactly what you need to be successful. If I feel that not holding your hand is going to make you successful, fine. If you need it, fine. But what we're going to do here is we're going to do everything we can to make you self-sufficient and stronger. We're not going to make it so that you depend upon us to do things. We're going to make it so that when by working together, so we work as a group towards individual goals. So when we leave here, we can achieve everything we want. This doesn't become the safe place where we can only be successful here. This becomes the legit training room, the anvil. We come and forge ourselves to be strong enough so we can go out and be successful. Being successful here means nothing. Proving yourself in the echo chamber means nothing. But going out into the world where it's a little bit more wild and proving your worth is everything. Mm -hmm. Being the guy who can beat up everybody in the room Fine. You're the world champion of Oakhurst. Jeez. <laughs> you know? Like, going around the track with your friends who've never driven before yeah. may make you feel good. Like, haha, I'm a better driver. But it doesn't mean you're world class. It just means you're kind of a bully. So, but being able to come here, get stronger, and then go out into the – go and be the best somewhere else, right. okay. Apply those lessons yeah, learned and the experience yeah. gained. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And that's what the For test sure. is. That's what the evolution is. And that was really the thing. It's That's why you've got to let go of the uh, – here, no one's worried about no, – we're not, we're not sitting around and judging nobody, unless you're judging. Nobody gives a crap at least where you – where you come from, what you're doing, that sort yeah. of thing. Competition's competition, and you know when when you touch gloves and go, nothing else should really matter. Yeah, and that's why you've got to put it all in context and you got to put it all in perspective. When you're sparring, don't spar to win. That's one thing that drives me nuts. We go to a lot of gyms, and people ask me afterwards, "Hey, how many rounds did I win?" I'm like, "You didn't win any rounds." <laughs> and the ones you think you won, you absolutely lost because you were trying to win. Yeah. Instead of trying to actually get better, you are trying to win rounds against someone who's not your opponent. Yeah. That's your training partner. It's not your opponent. Right. Hell of a way to piss off your training partners. Yeah. like you're, <laughs> Nobody's going to want to train with you if you are trying to win all the time. I came up in a karate school that the attitude of my instructor was every single person is your opponent. We all hated each other. And we all killed each other. And – we were a pretty bad group of people in a weird micro niche community. In the in the in the larger sense of things, we were just making ourselves weaker, and we were fighting each other so much that 
it really did limit our ability to grow. And I recognize that. And that was one of the main influences. You were talking about you were fortunate enough to have really good teachers. I was fortunate enough to have really bad teachers mm-hmm. and really good teachers. Because the bad ones made me really understand the good ones and the things that, that I did with the bad ones and the things I did to myself physically that I shouldn't have done where I pushed too hard and I pushed wrong and I've got knee problems and neck problems from. These are all the things that gave me the foundation to create a platform which I feel now is more effective, more productive, safer, just better. Mm -hmm. So you have to have the dark times to appreciate the good times. Yeah. Because that's again, it's it's the whole push thing. It goes back to what we were originally talking about. It's the grittiness. It's the pushing. It's the people that can take it, not just the people that can give it. Yep, that's just the way it goes. Absolutely. So, Trent, we've been going on a little while here, and I know my my wife is going to be calling me any minute here, wondering where I am. So I'm blaming the end of this on my wife. But uh, I thank you for coming on again. I we uh, we've been having some really good conversations that I, I think are valuable, and you know. I, I hope the listeners are finding value in it. And yeah, if they absolutely. are, um, I'd like to know. So drop a comment every once in a while so we know what's up. But uh, Trent, what's your next event? Uh, next event is, God, let's see if I can get the dates right here. I think it's uh, January 24th and 25th or 25th and 26th. It's, it's the uh, Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. Uh, I'll be driving in the... Uh, uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship first round of the season, first round of the North American Endurance Cup. I'll be running with a team called Mike Shank Racing. Uh, four drivers in the car, myself, uh, AJ Allmendinger, who uh, I'm sure some people have heard of. He, he's a very successful NASCAR driver. Um, Catherine Legg, another another person that I'm sure uh, some people maybe know a little bit about racing has heard of uh, IndyCar driver, champ car driver, uh, just phenomenal, phenomenal person. And uh, uh, Alvaro Parent, who's who's a guy coming over here from Portugal. He's he's won a lot of championships in uh, in the GT3 uh, group category of car. He's he's one of those guys who's uh, really teaching me a lot, as with all my other co-drivers. So. Um, yeah, we'll we'll be running in uh, in the GTD category in an Acura NSX GT3 car. So looking forward to that. Also running another race that weekend. So I get to do 28 total hours of racing. Nice. So a 24 hour and then a, a four hour the day before is kind of like a like a like a you know the undercard to to the main show. Uh, and this is in a uh, Mustang GT4, kind of based on the Shelby GT350, which is a pretty neat car. Throw out where people can follow you so they can see some of these cars and the things you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I'm on I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Trent Hinman, T R E N T H I N D M A N. I I don't post anything cool or special on there. I only post cars. So hope you like looking at pictures of cars. And this is Brian Wright, and you can find me at brianwright732.com and also brianwright732 on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me on Facebook as well. You can find this podcast on thehivecast.com. We are also on Google Play, uh, iTunes, TuneIn. We just did a thing on there. So if you're on Amazon Alexa, 
because of the TuneIn app, you can actually find the Hive podcast now, which is... I didn't know that. I know. Isn't that Sweet. cool? I've been I've been doing my work. And you can download this direct from thehivecast.com. This is episode number six. We're going to keep the conversation going. I want to do a quick shout out to Sucker Punch Entertainment. They have been a huge supporter of what we're doing, along with sponsors, Alienware, Pure Spectrum, New Jersey Nutrition, Meal Plans to Go. We've got a lot of we've got a lot of interesting people that have been coming on board. Dude, the way you're rifling off sponsors there, you're ready for a career in NASCAR. Oh my! <laughs> I'm gonna look. I'm gonna I'm gonna start wearing a T-shirt with all the sponsors on it, so I can look like a NASCAR yes. driver. Yes. All right. So this is Brian Wright with Trent, and I'm saying good night. We are out. Thank you for listening. See you next time. <laughs>